A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So I started going walking almost daily on Walthamstow marshes when I was trying to get sober and trying to get better. And uh, I found that I was drawn to being in the wild, being in uh, being in nature with a kind of intensity and, and thirst in a way similar to to what I'd kind of found in alcohol and other substances. It was soothing to me. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast on all things mental health. I'm Yvette and this week I'm going to be chatting to Lucy Jones. She's a journalist and the author of Losing Eden, Why Our Minds Need the World. We're going to be chatting about the importance of the connection between humans and nature. Lucy Jones, welcome to Mentally Yours. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So we're here primarily to chat about mental health and the environment, sort of how nature affects mental health. First of all, how did you get into writing and thinking about this sort of thing? So about eight years ago, I had a period of depression and addiction issues. And there were four things which were really important for my recovery. Psychiatry, psychotherapy and the support of my friends and family and other addicts but the fourth element um, was a bit more mysterious and that was um, reconnecting with nature so I started going walking almost daily on Walthamstow marshes when I was trying to get sober and trying to get better and uh, I found that I was drawn to being in the wild being in uh, being in nature with a kind of intensity and, and thirst in a way similar to to what I'd kind of found in alcohol and other substances it was soothing to me it was it seemed to have a kind of medicinal effect I was I was really taken aback by it so I, I quite quickly started researching what was going on I was working as a science I was I was moving into science journalism from music journalism and uh 
I kind of set out on a journey to investigate how and why contact with nature um, can affect our mental health. So, yeah, that was the kind of origin. So what gave you the idea in the first place to go on that initial walk? I remember feeling that I had kind of time on my hands. So my life at that point in my mid-twenties was kind of becoming increasingly revolved around um, kind of self-medicating through alcohol and other substances and, um, you know, partying and all the lifestyle um, things that go with being a music journalist. So when I realised that I really needed to get sober and kind of try and improve my mental health, uh, I had lots of time on my hands and um, to keep busy, I kind of looked around and thought, you know, what can I do? And I I lived in Clapton and Hackney at the time. And I think I just started running. At first I started running because I thought that would help me mentally. And I found, just started to fall in love with the Walthamstow Marshes area. Just became kind of obsessed with looking for birds and looking at insects and seeing the changing seasons and having the fresh air on my face. Um, and gradually I started to realise that I needed this contact um, in the same way that I needed the antidepressants I was taking and you know, the rehab meetings I was attending. It felt like a really crucial part of my um, recovery and, and has done in other mental health episodes since. I think probably I had a residual, even though I was really disconnected from nature through my adolescence and, and 20s, you know, I was I had a very urban life. Of, you know, I kind of was into David Attenborough and, um, you know, loved kind of animals in a way, but you know, I wouldn't have chosen to go walking as restoration. But as a child, I was lucky enough to to have had nature experiences with my parents and to have spent time in the natural world. So I think that that was dormant in me. And I think it was still there, this kind of relationship, um, which then I reactivated in quite a major way. How do you think people in London in particular can reconnect with nature? Because I know as someone sort of coming from the countryside then living in London, I found it quite challenging because to me it seemed just like parks. Yeah, I think that um, well, what I found when I, I don't live in London now, but when I was living in London, I, you know, there are like a lot of wonderful nature reserves. There's the wetlands, for example, around um, Manor House I used to go to quite a lot. There's community gardens and, and there are little pockets across the city, as well as, you know, the big parks that we all know about. Things like the Chelsea Physic Garden, which is kind of like this hidden, incredible green space. But I think that in a way, it has to. It's a kind of change of perception and attitude as well. Maybe it's a kind of like a radical noticing, almost. You know, it's it's like an opening of the eyes to even. You know, the other day I was walking through. I live in an urban area again outside London, but I was walking down a really busy, kind of polluted, loud road, and I just looked down and I saw these kind of weeds, and they were um, they were just really beautiful. And you know, I'd never kind of thought to look at them before, and you know, there's actually like a real variety of bird life and wildlife in, in London. Um, there are foxes and <laughs> there are, there are, um, peregrines and there are all sorts of kind of incredible flora and fauna out there. And I think that once the curiosity has peaked, there is a abundance out there. Um, you know, for connection with nature. I think there's maybe a perception that nature is sort of quite a nice thing to be around, almost like a hobby. 
Um, but into your, in your book, you've sort of gone much more into how it's not just a hobby or an icing, but it's, it's vital. So how did you get to that conclusion? Where's the science? So my intention with Losing Eden was to consider this relationship between nature connection and human mental health um, through kind of empirical, peer-reviewed, robust science. Um, so even though I had this kind of bias because I was, I had had this powerful personal experience with the natural world, you know, I was working, most, writing mostly for BBC Earth at the time as a science journalist, and I am naturally quite cynical. So um, I definitely uh, wanted to make sure that the science was stacking up. And through the journey over the last kind of almost eight years, the variety of evidence, you know, that, that nature affects us always kind of from our heads to our toes, from our brains to our minds, our nervous systems to kind of the gut brain axis, our stress recovery systems, our cognition, you know, from the smell of earth after it's rained uh, to bacteria that live in the soil. You know, there, I realised that there were thousands of, of studies which were showing us that this link, you know, is vital and has a measurable impact on human mental health at you know, both an individual and a population health level. So I think the realisation kind of happened uh, quite gradually, but, you know, it, it was, I was, you know, it was kind of good timing in a way that, you know, I, I, when I set out on the journey to investigate the mechanism, I didn't realise that I was stepping into a really um, exciting and kind of fertile area of science where, you know, scientists from neuroscientists to psychologists to microbiologists to, to psychotherapists across the world in every continent have been trying to measure and drill down into, you know, what is going on in this relationship and what are we losing if we kind of absent ourselves and we disconnect ourselves from nature, which is, you know, the trend that's happening in our society. That was going to be my next question, <laughs> although it's obviously huge because it does seem like we're getting more and more internet technology, almost more and more sort of into ourselves and sort of building more and getting more away from nature so what are we losing what's this obviously it's a big question sure well I think when I was when I was researching I kind of wondered if I'd come across like a silver bullet piece of evidence that might kind of explain the pathway by which nature makes us feel good um, but what I found instead was that it's more like a club sand sandwich which is how one academic put it to me you know, there are so many different benefits potential therapeutic benefits for us you know, so for example, like the sounds of nature um, can increase our stress recovery. So if we listen to birdsong or flowing water, um, our our nervous system will become more balanced. If we walk from a green area into a busy street, that green space can create a buffering effect on our brains, which uh, reduces the stress of the kind of the noise and the um, and the busyness in the moment. So. What we're losing as our green spaces are threatened, are depleted, winnowed, um, and our biodiversity decreases, you know, and of course, all of this is in the context of climate emergency as well. And our disconnection increases. So today, we only spend 5% of our time outdoors. Um, children um, spend less time outdoors than you know, prisoners uh, prisoners do what we're losing is those potential benefits that the science has now proven for nature on our mental health what can people do on an individual level 
especially if they're sort of suffering mental health issues, to get back more sort of back to nature. Because not everyone listening to this will be necessarily be in the place where they feel like they can go on a big long run or a big long walk. Have you got any suggestions? Sure. I think I'd also like to make the point that, and I'm I'm quite clear about this in the book, that, you know, nature isn't a cure all. And for me, you know, at the time of kind of crisis for me in my 20s and in the last few years where I've had postnatal depression, medication and psychotherapy has been, you know, the thing that I've really needed. And contact with nature has maintained my mental health and given me a lot. Um, but I'm I'm not advocating it as a cure-all. However, it is obviously very powerful, which is what my book is about. I think one of the the one of the things that I started to do when I was reading the evidence was um you can if you're if you're having to go out, if you're walking to work or you're going to the shops or something, even if you're not necessarily a kind of naturey or outdoorsy person, just by going through a green space, you know, just background nature um can have an impact on on mental health. So just choosing to go kind of through a green area, you know, the science shows that that contact with greenery, with trees can have a measurable impact on um, the stresses that we feel um, on our nervous, on our nervous systems. And even um, a study on, on the brain in green areas found that um, it can reduce even rumination activity in areas of the brain associated with uh, yeah, worry and rumination, which can lead to depression. So um, that would be one way, just taking kind of a little, a different, a different walk. Um, I found things like tree planting really helpful. So getting involved with other um, kind of conservation groups, you know, and obviously not everyone feels like they can do that if they're in a, um, if they're not very well, you know, because you know, socialising can be can be tricky. But um, that's something that I found also as an antidote to the kind of ecological grief that has come with this reconnection. You know, it's not <laughs> connected with nature today isn't as simple as kind of ramble in the wild because the wild barely exists anymore. So, you know, lots of people who love nature are also kind of sadness about what we're losing. So I think that maybe meeting with, you know, other people in groups doing things like tree planting can be quite helpful too. It's another side altogether, isn't it? Because I suppose um, you mentioned this in the book as well, and it's in, in all different kinds of ways, but um, it's like eco-anxiety and sort of being, obviously we're a lot more aware about um, what's happening in terms of climate change and the planet. But what can people do if they're sort of, like you say, they reconnect with nature, but then they're sort of suddenly become very worried about what's happening? What would you advocate for that? I mean, just going to what, to what I found helpful, it it has been collective action in a way. Like I think it has been kind of, um, you know, meeting with other people who feel the same way through kind of activist groups, you know, like a local extinction rebellion group or going on marches, that kind of thing, just to feel kind of connected with other people who are feeling the same. There's some, there's lots of people kind of writing about this area at the moment. There's an academic called Glenn Albrecht who coined a term solastalgia and he's kind of created this new vocabulary because, because one of the problems is that we don't really have, we're in such a kind of new epoch in a way we don't really have the words to describe how um how it's making us feel so um Glenn, checking out glenn albrecht's work would be good I, I, I write about it quite a lot in losing eden as well um you know the concepts of eco-anxiety and, and climate dread and you know putting names to the feelings that um people are having which are you know a rational response to to what's happening another thing i find helpful 
as an antidote to eco-grief is just connecting with nature again because you know losing Eden lots of it is my presentation of the most robust and interesting science I could but also nature connecting with nature can kind of provide power in metaphor you know and give strength and solace and hope in in what it represents you know I find that when I'm feeling really scared about the future um particularly because I have a a baby and a three-year-old I'm thinking about kind of 40 years time and and what the world's going to look like there's something about spending time with the ancient trees in the cemetery next to my house which um, has a kind of extremely powerful effect which you know in a way empirical science can't really explain that but I think it's a kind of metaphor of of change and and steadfastness. Going back to the book as you were writing it were there any things that really surprised you as you went along do you know what I think that the the big surprise for me was the kind of multitude of evidence and the myriad um, nature of the evidence so I think I kind of when I started my research about eight years ago I was really focused on the brain and thinking about I think because of my personal experience how um, walking in nature and connecting with nature was you know, a- affecting brain chemistry because at the time you know I was trying to recover from addiction and you know I felt that my brain chemistry was kind of was trying to reorganize itself. So I was interested in how nature was providing that kind of soothing, soothing power. Um, But as I attended conferences and I interviewed um, kind of different scientists and my journey took me to kind of Svalbard and Poland and Germany and Scotland and all over the place, I started to realize that, you know, what what was surprising was just that almost kind of every part of the body and mind was involved in this relationship, you know, and kind of what I touched on before, there wasn't, you know, one pathway which was going to explain the mechanism. It was just this kind of real powerful mix of, you know, the immune system, the nervous system, the limbic system, the brain, the mind, the gut, you know, the eyes. So, that was one thing which surprised me and I, I loved learning about this. Fractals. So fractals are shapes which are often found in nature where you have one shape which is replicated again and again in different sizes. So if you look at a tree, um, like the leaves are fractal. So you've got one shape replicating and you see that across the natural world in lightning and salt flats, fractal broccoli, pineapple, all sorts of things. And you might have seen fractal broccoli, you know, do you know, and you look at it and it, you can kind of see these shapes repeated anyway um so I looked into it and I kind of thought oh it's just you know it just looks nice it's nice to look at these these shapes in nature but in fact you know there's evidence to say that when we look at fractal shapes our the areas in our brains associated with relaxation and calmness are activated and in fact as I looked into it more um with this work of this guy called Richard Taylor in Oregon, our eyes are fractal. So when we look at a fractal shape in nature, so, you know, if you're looking out your window now at a tree, your eye will be locking into this shape and it will be affecting your brain, um, you know, making it kind of feel pleasurable for you. So, so things like that, which, you know, I just, I just found that really surprising and amazing. And then, Another surprising um, piece of evidence I found was I got really into swimming outdoors in the last few years. I found that when I had periods of depression, just swimming in cold rivers um, was really helpful. Um, And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence about 
swimming and cold water. There's not that much empirical peer-reviewed science. But I noticed that when I would go to this particular river in Hampshire, it had a kind of little um, waterfall and I used to kind of sit by it quite a lot. And I always felt so much better afterwards, like my head was cleared and you know, I felt kind of like just just so much happier and more positive i found some evidence that showed that negative ions ions are um created around waterfalls or breaking waves so the sea or the beach or you know anywhere where water is um the atoms of water are kind of cr- uh, cr- crash against each other so it creates these negative ions which have been found in studies to have antidepressant like effects um so you know just just study after study just was showing that this relationship between humans and the earth um, is so rich and kind of complex and yeah I think I was surprised by that the variety and and how it's you know from the head our heads to our toes. Um, Do you have anything you'd like to add? One of the things I write about a lot in Losing Eden you know is that our disconnection from the natural world you know our destruction of it is at unprecedented levels today and and the the thing that we've overlooked, and I think we've kind of forgotten, that c- contact with nature is crucial for for human mental health. And like lots of people aren't nature people, but it's not it's not just for nature people. You know that the evidence suggests that we need to protect green spaces. We need to, you know, keep the street trees which are being cut down. We need to build nature connection into education much more. Um, we need to have stronger laws to protect. Um, our wild spaces because the the evidence is just so strong that we need it for our mental health so I think in a way Losing Eden you know has these kind of two narratives and you know lots and lots of evidence about the connection but um, I hope that it will um, inspire kind of change and and us to maybe realize more how much we need to protect um, for human mental health so this is goodbye from mentally yours so go away enjoy your day get on with all your chores from mentally 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 yours mentally yours mentally If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116-123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.